Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Not too <laughs> you much. Think, you think I'd get your name right after? <laughs> it's close enough. Uh, I don't know what the exact date is, but we've been doing this for two years now. Yeah, cool. I mean, it's, well, today's July 16th, but uh, yeah, um, I think about two years. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, we're both older and wiser and... <laughs> You know, we have dozens of people who follow us. It is growing. I, I, I'm surprised how many, you know, I go, I, in fact, I was in the Bountiful Parade uh, yesterday and I had a guy come up to me and said, I listen to you every, every Sunday night on, you know. Oh, that's like, great. Yeah. So hello. that happens to me yeah. on the plane. Someone will say to me that they listen. So that's good. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into this week. Uh, the prime, the GOP primary stage is set for Congressional District 2. We have Becky Edwards, who collected signatures, Bruce Huff, who collected signatures, and Celeste Malloy, who won the convention. So that's three. Todd, how do you handicap the race? Well, I think it's wide open, um, Corey, because... If Bruce and Becky split the Salt Lake Davis County vote and Celeste gets all the rural vote and all the Southern Utah vote, she can win. If uh, Bruce and Celeste uh, split all the conservative vote and Becky gets all the moderate vote and the Democratic crossover, then maybe Becky can win. And um, if um, Celeste and I guess if Celeste and Becky split the you know pro-female vote or, or some other uh, tangents. Um, I, I, I do see a path for Bruce. In fact, um, Becky has by far the highest name ID. Celeste's name ID was zero a month ago, and it's it's come way up, you know, from them. In fact, people at the after the parade, I I worked in one of the booths in the park. We were selling um, food, you know, it was a little city celebration, and um, and I was volunteering in one of the booths, and people were saying, "No." Who's that other girl that came out of convention? So <laughs> the people know about her, her. Her name's not a household word. And Bruce's name, um, outside of the Dancing with the Stars and the farm, the nutraceutical industry, he's not well known. But my guess is within a few weeks, he's going to be up on TV and he's going to be blasting the TV and the and the social media with, with. I mean, if he has good commercials, I think he could still win. Um, anyway, uh, I think Bruce has a lot of money. Bruce probably has the most money. Becky probably has the second most money. And Celeste is not personally wealthy. Um, so she's out dialing for dollars, as are Bruce and Becky. Um, but um, if if Celeste isn't able to raise enough money to go up on TV, I think she might have a hard time competing with Bruce and Becky. So um, all, all I know all three of these people. They're all three good people. Um, I think Celeste, as we've talked about earlier, in earlier episodes, I think she was unfairly maligned by a small, very small segment of the party. Um, but I also think that that helped her in a weird way because the the media kept on running story after story about Celeste Malloy, and normal people, <laughs> average Republican voters, kept on calling me or seeing me and saying, "What? What's the controversy? I don't understand the controversy." Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah. "There is no controversy. It's just they wanted yeah. Greg Hughes or something." But um, so I don't think that that hurt her. I think it did maybe help her name ID. And I don't know where those voters are going to go. I mean, the, the you know, the delegates and the state central committee members who are mad at Celeste because 
she was off working for Utah for Congressman Stewart in DC. Are they going to vote for Becky Edwards because they're mad at her? Are they going to vote for Bruce Huff? Or are they just going to stay home and not vote? And I think we're talking about literally maybe 200 people. So it may yeah. not matter. Three people in the race, you know, if they all do well, Becky, remember, got 28% against Mike Lee, but only 15% in the rural areas. But if they all get around 30%, this could be really, I mean, it could be really interesting. You you could see a candidate win with, you know, under 40% potentially. My guess is no, none of the three will get 50%, but my guess somebody will win probably in the low 40s, but I'm not sure who that's going to be. And so that's why I don't really think that Becky's going to win because she does have the highest name ID, but she's also... She has the highest neg negatives. Among negatives, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that's a good analysis. Thank you for that. So I, I, I think that the really the, the the story that's just underreported, I think, right now is that Bruce is personally wealthy and he's going to go up on commercials. You've said this, but I'm not seeing a lot of people, other people saying this either on... Yeah either in our media or in Facebook traffic. But I heard a rumor and it's a, it's only a rumor. So, you know, if I'm lying, you know, just tell me, call me a liar. Whatever. But I, I've heard that he's paying upwards of $15 a signature. You know what that means? He has a lot of money. <laughs> I heard he was paying $25 a signature. Oh my gosh. So that's nuts. Yeah. And look, whether he did it, I'm not going to judge that. Um, I will say that that's a lot of money. And if you're willing to put that much skin in the game, then you're willing to go pretty far. And even though Celeste won the, the uh, Republican convention, like there's no Republican money behind her um, as far as party, the party doesn't have any money to give her. And so she's going to have to raise it on her own. And I do think I can tell that she's working pretty hard, but when you're talking about a general, like a primary, where it's on TV. And I mean, that's just tough. If you don't have the money, like, how are you going to get your name out there? And I think Becky will be able to get her name out there. She's the only one of the three that I knew of my personally before this whole thing started. And I knew that I would never vote for her. And um, I think that it's the case that a whole lot of people are in that camp if they follow politics even slightly. So I am interested in those folks that you said who are the most upset over the convention. Um, you know, I have a sneaking suspicion that they, uh, they, I, I don't want to, you know, impugn their motives, but I don't, I, I don't know that they would be super sad if Becky won because it would prove a point. Um, and I just don't agree with that at all. <laughs> so, so it's hard to, un, it's, it, I mean, don't, you don't want to underestimate Becky. She's got a small army of volunteers. I suspect some of them are Democrats, but probably oh, yeah. not, you know, real liberal Democrats. I think most of them are probably moderate or centrist Republicans. Um, but Becky's going to, you know, she, she collected a lot of her signatures through volunteers and, you know, those, those uh, volunteers, many of them are women, not all of them are, they're going to be putting up signs, they're going to be passing out flyers, they're going to be knocking doors for her. Um, she's got a very loyal um, following. A lot of them, you know, probably live outside of CD2, <laughs> um, but, you know, they can drive a few miles and, and knock some doors and put up some signs for her. Um, now, Bruce Huff, we should remind people, is the only of the three who does not live in the district. But remember, at times, Jason Chaffetz, Ben McAdams, um, Blake Moore, and uh, others have not lived in their district. Burgess yeah. Owens still doesn't live in his district. I've read that Blake Moore has moved into his district. Scott Matheson didn't live in his district for two years of his 
service. And so Utah voters have have tended to not really care about whether somebody lives inside the district or outside the district. And in fairness, I think Jason Chaffetz only lived outside of his district for like two years and then and then the rest of the time he did. He didn't move the district boundaries, you know, change every 10 years. But um, that is one. I mean, these Washington County delegates and these rural voters, they seem they seem to really want one of their own to be in that seat. Now, that that sentiment's not going to you know, fly as much in Salt Lake and Davis County where about, you know, half half of the voters live or at least 40 yeah. percent of the voters live. And then, of course, you've got Tooele. If you take Tooele, Salt Lake and Davis County portions of CD2, that's about half the district right there. But. I don't see all of them getting behind Becky or all of them getting behind Bruce. And so, you know, um, you know, Celeste does have a, a geographical um, advantage because it seemed like the Southern Utah voters or delegates were very much behind her for geography purposes. And I don't know that the Davis County voters are going to consolidate around Becky, just, mm. just around geography. Well, so you're making an interesting point because if you take Tooele County and Salt Lake County and Davis County portions, you're saying that's only 50%. I would that's think about that's about half. Much, yeah. I would say it's, I would guess, I guess I'm probably wrong, but I would have guessed that that would be much higher percentage. Like so, so Corey, let, let me, let me dive a little bit deeper. If you looked at the 800,000 people in the district, it's more than half. But if you look at the Republican voters, the uh, I see. portion, I see. Gotcha. Salt, and so I'm talking primary numbers, gotcha, the gotcha. Salt Lake portion of CD2 has a huge number of people, but a lot of them are Democrats or independents. And um, and in Washington County, for instance, Washington County population is about equal to half of Davis County population. And this district has about half of Davis County in it. But the percentage of the voters in Washington County who vote Republican is is higher than the percentage of Davis County voters who vote Republican or or just vote at all. Um, and so, yes, so, so that's why mm, you're right. If, if you look at raw numbers, there's a lot of people in Salt Lake County that are in CD2, but not all of them vote and not all of them, not all of them vote Republican. So it will be interesting to see like this Cedar City and the entire you know western portion of the state. Do they do they coalesce behind Celeste or I suspect that they have their own kind of you know, hierarchy of like, do we want to vote for a St. George person or not? <laughs> yeah. One other aspect we haven't talked about is um, September 5th primary. This is uh, aligned with the city council and the mayor, the mayoral primaries. Mm -hmm. However, like Mill Creek and Salt Lake City and one other city in Salt Lake County, they don't have a primary this year. Salt Lake has the uh, ranked choice voting, so they don't have a primary at all. That'll hurt Becky. I mean, because Becky's probably the strongest mm -hmm. in those Salt Lake areas. Um, and if those voters don't have a primary and it's just the CD2 people on that mail-in ballot, some of those voters might not fill it out and and send it in. Whereas if they were voting for the Mill Creek mayor or something like that. But I know that Salt Lake City and two other cities in Salt Lake County that are part of CD2 do not have uh, primaries on September 5th. And people are thinking that that could hurt Becky. Mm, interesting. Because that could be her strongest, you know. That, that's, that's really good. So my last word on this is to say, uh, I, I don't, I, I think it'd be also be interesting if Bruce is, if Bruce is the winner, then you would think that he's got the kind of money that would scare people off in the future. But um, if Becky wins, you know, there's going to be a challenger in two years. 
if no no not in two years in two months because this oh, two months yeah November, exactly that's right and, yeah, exactly. and and people will have to file in january so that's right no totally yeah yep I'm just entitling this Governor Cox is on a roll because I do think he's had a week. Uh, He is the new chair of the National Governors Association. You know, that in the past has been pretty prestigious. I think it's I think it kind of is still, Um, you know, there's a political report uh, the last couple of days saying that uh, at the NGA meeting, very few Republicans showed up, only three, including (laughs) including him himself. So uh, so there is a little bit of falling off. But it still is a you know a high profile for him, and he did this commercial with Colorado Governor Jared Polis, who is a Democrat, obviously, and he's the he's going to be the vice chair for this coming year, and it was very similar, basically a repeat of what he did with in the general election here um, back in uh, 2020 with whoever the Democratic candidate was, and I can't even remember his name. <laughs> I think it was Chris something. Yeah, something like that. So it's he's kind of a, nice guy. He's a law professor. Oh, he's a professor at the U. I remember. And I think his focus is he wants to focus on having better dialogue in this uh, polarized age and so forth. And so the commercial is kind of about like, hey, you know, you're, you know, if your brother's super MAGA and your niece is like super woke, we can still have good conversations together, kind of kind of thing. So it's really on brand for him. Um, and then he was, he appeared on Face the Nation. Uh, which is, you know, one of the Sunday talk shows, which, you know, Sunday shows used to be a big thing. Um, now, not so much, but, uh, but still it's, a, it's, a, it's a high profile guest appearance. And, and let, let me get into this just a little bit, Todd, and then you can, you can speak to it. Um, I was really irritated by this whole thing because I actually think he, you know, he did a, he did a, uh, a really good job, but this woman who's the host of face the nation, Margaret Brennan, I mean, she just showed herself to be a total progressive hack and it was really irritating to watch because, she started with a real uh, a gotcha question about guns, basically saying like, you know, your state has loosened gun laws for adults. And so, you know, that's don't you think that's causing more deaths among kids like kids are killing each other? And she says, you know, she's she's arguing that kids are dying in crossfires and in, in, in school shootings. And and it's really hard to tell whether she was being purposefully obtuse or just ignorant of the facts. But I think Cox did a great job. He just smacked down her gotcha little gotcha moment by explaining that obviously anyone who's spent one second thinking about this or looking into it, firearms are the leading cause of death among youth because of suicide. And that is a big problem that should be addressed. But he actually has work, been working on that. You know, it's something that he cares about. It's a, it's a population that he cares about. It's an issue that he cares about. And she was just, you know, it has nothing to do with the, the, the gun control obsession and AR-15s or whatever else. And and so I thought he did a great job there. And, uh, you know, and she tried to, she tried to do a couple more gotcha things where it's, you're, you're kind of like, do you know anything about how, what's going on in the world? It was just really, really irritating. But the last one I'll say, um, you know, she went after him for the gender affirming care for minors, which again, we all understand is a euphemism for sex change surgeries for children and teens and, and, um, and puberty blockers that we don't know the long-term and effects. Hormone, hormone therapy. Hormone blockers. Yep. Or, um, yeah, or, or, or I think this was Cox's uh, yeah. best moment, in my view, because Brennan cited the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics. They say that uh, these genital sex change surgeries are a good thing. 
And he just forthrightly just dismissed it, called the groups totally politicized and untrustworthy, which is obviously true for anyone who's being honest uh, that these organizations are completely captured by, by the activist cult. And I thought he did a great job because either she, she either wanted to catch him in a gotcha or she wanted him to be like, like Mr. Progressive Republican governor. And he didn't do either one. In fact, instead, he, he did a good job of basically being like, no, these are real issues and these are the real facts. While at the same time, you know, portraying the, the kind of the empathy that he wants to, you know, this part of on, a part of his brand. And everything. Well, well, and specifically, he pointed out that um, in Europe, the countries like Sweden and France and England have all pushed the brakes on puberty blockers and hormone treatments uh, because uh, and those countries, by the way, were, were were about 10 years ahead of the U.S. on these, you know, so-called transgender medical treatments. And um, and they've all put the blocks on them because the data, um, you know, wasn't coming out and, and, and the research wasn't there. And while these European countries are putting the you know, tapping the brakes, the doctors in the United States are like putting the pedal to the metal and saying, you know, full forward ahead. And he did a good job of pointing that out. And he also pointed out that in, any data you get today in, in the United States about transgender treatment, it's all politicized. Um, there, there is there, you know, and, and he said that he was really looking to Europe because it's not part of the woke culture. Uh, transgender treatment is not the same in Europe in terms of the, you know, the hot political potato as it is here in the United States. And I just want to make a comment. I know Governor Cox personally, we were texting each other yesterday, uh, and I'm not bragging, but I know him. I served in the legislature very briefly with him. I I volunteered on his campaign for governor. Um, but people think, people underestimate Spencer Cox. They think because he's nice and because he's, you know, I don't know, um, you know, skinny guy that that they could probably, you know, uh, bully him. Uh, if you if you come at Spencer Cox, he's going to come right back at you uh, 100% of the time. He's not a pushover. Um, he's a deep thinker. He's very intelligent. He's very articulate. And um, I've been in small settings, uh, private settings, where people have kind of outright, you know, just taken a, you know, a verbal shot at him. And every time he shot back and usually put that person in their mm -hmm. place, like with amazing speed. And, and that's what you kind of saw a little bit of on national TV. And it always makes me proud of him because, you know, you don't want to see your guy pushed around or beaten up or bullied. And uh, he's a smart, thoughtful person. And uh, he really does care about teen suicides. He cares about LGBT children. He really does. That doesn't mean he's going to do what their advocates, uh, you know, lobby him to do 100% of the time. And these are difficult issues and they require, you know, um, uh, difficult answers. Um, but in any event, I also like the interview. And you're right, the TV viewership has gone down. But when you get a clip, and this happened to Mike's, Mike Pence this week in a bad way with Tucker Carlson, if there's a good clip, those clips get shared over and over again on good social point. media. Yeah. yeah and you point. texted me this interview. And so that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, so furthermore, the uh, Deseret News Inkley Institute has a poll that shows he's, uh, that Governor Cox has 63% of voters, all voters in Utah, approve of him as governor. And, but more interesting to me, his approval rating among Republicans is 
and broken down in, the, in their tabs, support among very conservative voters. This is self-identified, very conservative voters, 64%. And then, of course, among somewhat conservative, 73%. Those are, those are really high numbers. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, you know, again, I, I give my usual caveat about the Deseret News polls. Uh, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that I put so much stock into it, but it, but it is a data point that is very interesting. And of course, in Utah County, there's just a lot of Republicans who are uh, disgruntled with Governor Cox and stuff. Yeah. I hear that a lot. And uh, it's just very interesting to see a poll like this, like statewide, even among very conservative, certainly among like uh, somewhat conservative, which would fill, you know, Utah and Davis County for sure. Um, 73% approval is pretty high. You know, and it just goes to show you um, there are a number of um, uh, Facebook groups of um, so-called conservatives. There's the unofficial group. There's the like business revival group. There's the Davis County conservatives. And if you were uh, just a, a, you know, if you were a lurker on one of those, any one of those pages and probably 30 others, you would, you would think that the support for, for Governor Cox among conservatives is like somewhere between one and 3%. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it just goes to show that those groups, uh, even though there's hundreds of participants in those groups, that they're just not reflective of the overall Republican voters in this state. Um, it's a small uh, and and those groups are often just very toxic, very negative. Um, I try to stay away from them because they just make me depressed. <laughs> um, but it, it's sad. I, I'm a Republican because I'm a I'm a I'm a happy person, and I'm I have a bright outlook for the future. I go into those pages, and it's just like you're in some deep cave of cynicism. So. <laughs> It's very, it's definitely very. And, and I say that knowing that we're broadcasting live on Facebook right now, so <laughs> a little bit uh, hypocritical. So one little, one more data point though, they took this poll like maybe it was a year ago, or I don't know if it was six months ago. Anyway, sometime in the past, and support among self-identified somewhat liberal was seventy-seven percent. Now it's fifty-seven percent. So I think that that also is a is a note too that. He has absolutely been cognizant of, you know, the direction he's taking us. I mean, this legislative session, he was, I think he was a little bit more in step with the legislature, let's say, than he has been in, uh, you know, the previous two. So I, so, so I'm, I'm going to perceive that I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to spend that a little bit differently. I think um, Spencer Cox um, is very conservative on issues like guns and abortion and a lot of things that, uh, Republicans and conservatives care about. I think he has a soft spot in his heart for, like I said, uh, teen suicide, LGBT kids. He wants to be compassionate. He wants to lend a listening ear. And I think, again, some, I think liberals think, oh, you know, he did this one veto of the, you know, the sports bill. And so he must be liberal now. Well, he's never been liberal. Um, yeah. But um, some of these issues, again, they're, they're more nuanced than some people make him sound. And um, so I, I think that the legislature, just in the session we had, we had a bunch of new House members who were more, for almost to a T, were more conservative than the people they replaced. replaced. And so it, it, you saw him signing a lot of more conservative bills, but I don't think he changed. I don't think he's positioning. I just think you're seeing, you know, when, if you serve him a conservative ball, he's going to swing at it. 
And uh, there's a few times he swung at some moderate balls. And I think maybe that some of the liberals misconstrued those swings. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Brad Wilson has raised $2.1 million for his Senate Exploratory Committee. Just over $1 million of that was raised from donors, and he put in $1.2 million of his own money. Remember, he's a real estate developer. He's got some good personal money. So apparently it's the most that any Republican Utah state candidate has raised in the first quarter ever. Uh, that's, that's what the Salt Lake Tribune says. Just for comparison, Mitt Romney has 600000 cash on hand. That's a, as of March, so he, he may or may not have raised some money since then. So uh, Wilson said that he would return all the donations if he decides not to run, because again, this is still his exploratory committee because he hasn't announced. Trent Staggs, in the, in the meantime, remember he's the uh, mayor of Riverton, and he announced that he was going to run about a month and a half ago. And he's uh, recently announced that he's got endorsements from talk show host Mark Levin and also student organizing group Turning Point USA. So a couple of those. Todd, do you think uh, Brad Wilson is going to go through with it if Romney stays in the race? Yes, I do. Uh, I originally thought maybe he was just, you know, putting his toe in the water, but I think he's in for sure. Um, and um, we haven't seen uh, Trent Staggs' numbers yet. I expect they'll also be high, um, but I, I just want, and I think we'll have those in a couple of days. Um, but I want you and our listeners to know a little inside baseball here. Trent Staggs is uh, using um, high cost fundraisers to raise money all over the country against Mitt Romney. So what I'm saying is if he raises a dollar, he may be paying out 90 cents of that. But, you know, it might. So if he comes in and says, oh, I've raised two million or three million, look at his expenses and you'll see that he spent almost the same amount. Um, but um I think Trent is probably really frustrated. I don't know him well. I think I've met him once. He's probably really frustrated by Brad's um, existence in the race because I think, you know, it makes it harder for him just to be the anti-Romney. I still think Mitt Romney, you know, is going to run. Uh, Remember, six years ago, he didn't announce until I think January um, that he was in the race. And so people are like, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? He did say last year that he would meet with his family at Christmas time and make a decision. Well, Christmas was seven months ago and we haven't heard a decision. Um, We have heard that um, the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, uh, wants him to run. And I think that's why Matt ultimately will run. Um, And and I think Brad Wilson is a a classy guy, a stand-up guy. I I would have no hesitancy supporting uh, Brad uh, I've known Brad for you know close to 20 years, at least over 15 years since before he was in the legislature. Um, but I, I still think it's hard to beat an incumbent in Utah, not impossible. And I know Mitt's numbers are below 50, um, but um, you know it, it'll be interesting. Um, I think Mitt's as an incumbent, he's going to have to make up his mind sooner rather than later. Uh, but my my guess is is he'll he'll run, and I, I think that'll make it hard for Brad to win. Yeah, I mean, he has the luxury of waiting because he's personally so very rich and also his his ability to fundraise. I mean, he's gone through this these rounds since his presidential election. I mean, he can he can raise a lot of money. He could lift his little finger and raise six million dollars. Yeah. So it won't be hard. Yeah. But I think two million is is the uh the threshold amount that you need to get started. And so I do think that 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 
you know, that's a big deal. And the fact that Brad's going to put in a million of his own dollars is, I think is a, is a show that he's serious too. So. And Corey, I want our listeners to understand if Spencer Cox wanted to raise money, he could call a, a Gail Miller or a Kim Gardner or some uber rich person and get a $50,000 donation. You can't do that when you're running for the U.S. Senate or yeah. for Congress. You're limited, you know, by federal. Uh, so it's much harder to raise a million dollars for a federal race. I mean, it's hard for, to raise it for a state race, but it's it's 10 times harder to raise it for a federal race. And you can't take yeah. corporate money for those federal races for so even though brad put in 1.2 million of his own for him to have raised nine hundred thousand dollars against a you know a semi-popular incumbent that's pretty darn impressive oh yeah it's great it's great yeah i mean so uh, the federal federal law is 2900 i mean every every cycle it goes up a little bit but you have to get donations in that increment 2900 now in utah you can get it you can get it three times per person because of the convention the convention, the primary, and the general. So you can get it three times, but you're limited on where you can spend it. You can't get the general election money and get all three and then spend all three in the convention. You wouldn't be able to do that. So you wouldn't be limited, but still. So if, if, if Brad Wilson has a wealthy friend, let's say he called up Mike Schultz. I'm just saying hypothetically, Mike Schultz is very wealthy. So Brad could get $8,700 right now from Mike Schultz, hypothetically, because that's 2,900 times three, okay? Yep. And then if Brad didn't qualify for the general election, let's say he qualified for the convention and the primary, but he got knocked out, then he'd have to return that $2,900 for that third cycle. So so he could have gotten uh, $8,700 from you know, just over, just a few over a hundred people and raised 900,000. But some of that money has to have an asterisk next to it where it has to be refunded if he doesn't make it. Well, not refunded. He just wouldn't be able to use it. You have to use it for a future election or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Okay. So anyways. All All good. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Todd. See you. Thanks, Corey. Bye-bye.